Amen. Good morning, everyone. Ah, such a good day today. Excited to uh, get into this new book of First Thessalonians with you all, but uh, I'm so pleased by what we've done as a church to support uh, the work that happens through Operation Christmas Child. Um, we have funded, um, I think, our goal of 400 boxes. I think we're at about 75, 80% of there, so let's get all the way this Sunday. You can go to the foyer, and uh, it's $25 a box, and I'll tell you, it, it blesses kids with, with just something to play with uh, at Christmas time, but it blesses them with the greatest news ever, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, on November 13th, we will be packing those shoe boxes here in the sanctuary. So please come and join us for that event. It'll be just a great time of fellowship and laboring together in love for the kingdom of God. And so please join us November 13th at 6 p.m. here in the sanctuary. Does that sound good? Okay, awesome. Well, let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Now, one of the vision statements of our church is to know Jesus. And we believe that Jesus has revealed himself to us in the Bible. And so when we come to Jesus, what he does is he shows us the Father and he empowers us by the Holy Spirit. And so that's why we make it our practice in this church to teach and preach the word of God. And so that, you know, what we believe is that as the people of God, we can know everything that we need to know about God and everything that we need to know about ourselves from these scriptures. That these scriptures have the authority and the power contained in them to, as Rob said, save and transform lives. And so I'm excited to begin the book of 1 Thessalonians with you this morning, a letter in the New Testament. And, you know, since the beginning of this church, we have preached on Sunday mornings through the Gospel of Mark, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter, and most recently, Nehemiah. In the other ministries of our church, we have taught through the Gospel of Luke, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Jude, Revelation, Ruth, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, and we've done a four-week topical series on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. When we finish 1st Thessalonians, we're going to do a little Christmas series, an Advent series, uh, but also, you might not be aware of this, and I want to let you know that our pastors are in the process of writing devotions every week for this church. Uh, it's our goal to eventually have content on the entire Old Testament for you to either read or listen to from our church website. So you can go visit there. We have finished Joshua, First and Second Samuel, Jonah, Malachi, Ruth, Nehemiah. We've started the book of Exodus. And so let that be just a source of blessing to you in the middle of your week. Uh, come to one of our Bible studies where you can just continue to dive into the Word of God. Now, a little while ago, I, I mapped it out and found out that within the next 10 years of this church, we will have taught on some level of ministry all of the scriptures, Amen. the whole Bible. So that we can give to this church the whole counsel of God's word. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
And so to me, there's something so wonderful about finishing one book of the Bible and beginning another and always teaching consistently and systematically from the Bible. And so I've been asked before how uh, I choose the next book that we're going to go through. And I, I spend a pretty good amount of time thinking about what book we ought to do next. I talk and I pray with the other elders. And uh, we look for a book that we would find to be most fitting for the season that we find ourselves as a local church in this world. And uh, it's, all, it's true that all scripture is profitable at all times. Yet I find that what God often does is he, he likes to put us in a certain part of scripture at a certain time, and it's not like you know, we plan for it to be that way. It's only because God divinely orchestrates it in such a way that we, we usually end up being in the right place at the right time, and God always blesses his church with a powerful and a timely application of the truth of God's word no matter what and no matter where we are in the scriptures because it is the word of God that endures in all times and seasons and his word will never return to us void. So that's enough of me talking about how we preach the Bible in this church can I just get right into it and preach a gospel message from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 this morning? Okay. Let me read the first two verses of this letter from, uh, to, to the church in Thessalonica. This is what it says. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you in peace. All right, so here in this first verse, which is just the greeting of this letter, we see a short list of names. It's, it's not like those long list of names that we read in Nehemiah where I did my very best to try to pronounce them, right? These names are a little bit easier for me to say. It's, it's Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. I may have trouble saying Thessalonians at time, you know, because that's a little bit of a tongue twister. When I'm writing my sermons, I actually have Thessalonians on autocorrect on my computer, it's uh, two S's, one L. But you might recognize, right, these three men who are the ones that are sending this letter to the church that's in Thessalonica. You've got Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Now, you might be wondering about that Silvanus guy, right? Who's he? Well, it's probably because you know him as Silas, one of the gospel co-laborers who worked with the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. In that book, he goes by Silas. He, it's the same guy, just here we have his full first name. So you've got Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy. They are a small band of missionary church planters who took the gospel to places that it had never been before. Now, if we go to the book of Acts, what's amazing is that we can actually read about many of the churches that have these letters in our New Testament written to and we can see how these churches were started. For instance, you can read about the church in Philippi, which is why we have the book of Philippians, right? The church started there because Paul received a vision to go to Macedonia, which is northern Greece, to help the people there by preaching the gospel. 
And Paul was obedient to follow the Holy Spirit's direction. And in his second missionary journey, after parting with Barnabas, he took with him Silas and Timothy, and they went to Philippi. It was there that a church was started with a rich lady, a slave girl who was delivered from a demon, and a jail warden. Talk about church diversity. (laughs) And while Paul and Silas were in Philippi, they spent a few nights in jail because of the deliverance that the gospel brought to that slave girl. But after they were miraculously let out of prison, they encouraged and strengthened the church there in Philippi, but then they moved on to the next place with the gospel, and the next place they went was the city of Thessalonica, which is the capital of Macedonia. And we're told in Acts chapter 17 that Paul and Silas were in uh, Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. And so they didn't stay for very long at all. Maybe three or four weeks they had spent in this city. Now, it was their custom that as they entered into a new city, what they would do is they would go into the Jewish synagogue on the Sabbath, and they would reason with the Jews from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And Paul would explain and prove from the scriptures, the necessity of the death and resurrection of Jesus and how he is to be believed upon for eternal salvation. And as Paul did that, we're told that a number of the Jews were persuaded and they believed, as did many of the devout Greeks. And so what they do is they joined Paul and Silas And they began to learn about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But this created a little bit of conflict in the city of Thessalonica. A jealous mob of Jews came after Paul and Silas because they had been preaching the gospel. And the mob ended up attacking the house of a man named Jason, who had been hosting the missionaries in his home, and they dragged Jason out into the city, and they beat him. It is on this occasion that we find that well-known criticism that was said about Paul and Silas. It was a criticism, but I think it turned out to be quite a compliment. The Jews said about Paul and Silas, because of the work that they were doing By preaching the gospel from city to city and seeing people saved by it, it said, these men have turned the world upside down. You've heard that before, right? These men are turning the world upside down. And because they were driven out by this angry mob, it says from there, Paul and Silas go to Berea, where the people received the word of God with eagerness. They were ready to hear what was being preached from the Apostle Paul. However, what the hearers did as they heard what was being preached is they examined the teachings from the scriptures to make sure that what Paul was saying was actually from the Bible and that it wasn't just Paul and Silas's opinions, which is why we find it very important that you open your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and follow along as we are preaching. And so this mob 
followed Paul and Silas from Thessalonica all the way up to Berea, and they drove them out of that city as well. Then they went from that time to Athens, eventually making their way to Corinth, and it was in Corinth that Paul had this deep longing, a yearning in his heart to find out how the church in Thessalonica was doing. And so he sent Silas and Timothy down to check in on them, and they brought news back to Paul in Corinth saying that the church was doing well. And so Paul sends off this letter with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They wrote, and most Bible teachers agree that this is probably the first letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, one of the earliest letters to the churches of the New Testament. And therefore, what we have today as holy scriptures from the Holy Spirit is this letter that we call 1 Thessalonians. That's just a little bit of background on this book. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, again, have addressed this letter in verse 1 to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice something there? I notice that this church has two addresses, one physical and one spiritual. They are the local church in the city of Thessalonica. I almost said city of Thessalonica, right? In the city of Thessalonica in the region of Macedonia. That's, that's their physical location. But do you see their spiritual location? And the church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, I want to just remind us that we have a dual citizenship. We are a local church in Palos Verdes, California in 2022, but we are simultaneously in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's times when our physical address may be emphasized, and there are times when our spiritual address might be emphasized. But this side of heaven, as we uh, hear Peter preach in his letter, his epistle, he says, we are elect exiles. You know it, right? That we live in this tension as disciples of Jesus Christ where, where we belong to both heaven and earth. We gotta wrestle a lot of times in that tension. But, but I would reason that the more important of the two is knowing confidently that we are hidden in Jesus Christ who is hidden in the Father. So then we have this greeting to this church that is in the Father and the Son in Thessalonica. Paul says, Grace to you in peace. Grace being the unmerited blessing in favor of God towards sinners. Do you know his grace? Peace being what comes when we have received and experienced that grace. You'll discover actually in all 17 times that the New Testament uses that greeting, grace and peace, that there's a proper order to it. Grace always comes before peace. You'll never see written in the New Testament, peace and grace to you. Why? Because you cannot have peace until you have first experienced grace. 
Many people lack peace in their lives because they are not living under the fountain of God's grace. People try to please God with their efforts, works, law, in our flesh, in religion, in legalism, rather than living under the blessing of the grace of God, and that is why peace is lacking in people's lives. Therefore, if you want peace, get grace. Amen? God offers freely. That's the whole point of grace. Freely offers and gives to you as a gift to just simply receive it, the grace of God. And when you receive it, just like those little children are going to receive a gift with Operation Christmas Child, they receive the gift and it brings blessing and joy and peace to their lives. We all need to receive a gift and it's the gift of God's grace. And so I'm just telling you, if you are lacking peace in your life right now, perhaps because you have lost sight of the abundant grace of God that he wants to lavish upon you. And so Paul and his companions get on with the body of this letter, and starting off, they say how they are so thankful for this church, and that they've been praying for this church all the time. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I notice here in the first words of this letter is the communal nature of the letter. Paul's not writing as one individual to another individual. Notice the words, we give thanks. Paul is not alone in his thankfulness. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. You know, they weren't just thankful for some of you. <laughs> just the ones that they like and, you know, get along well with. He was thankful for all of the saints that were in Thessalonica, along with Paul, Silas, and Timothy, he, they, they say, we constantly mention you in our prayers, remem remembering before our God about your faith, love, and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what just stands out to me about just the, the plural, the, the, the communal nature of this letter is that we can never make too little of importance of the community that the church is. You know, the church has been described as a family, a body, a flock, a field, a temple that is built with living stones. You know, in our faith, we were never meant to go at it alone. God, God does save people individually. You have to come to Jesus Christ and have your own personal relationship with him. We are saved as individuals. But I tell you, we are not saved to individuality. We are saved into community. We get saved and join a family. 
We get saved and we join a body. We get saved and we join a flock. We come into a community that is loving and Christ-honoring, where as we come to the Lord, yes, we may be diverse, but we find ourselves being like-minded, like-hearted, like-spirited believers in Jesus Christ. There is a, a diversity in a myriad of ways, but we are one in the Lord. Amen? We find our common ground in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. As we live in such a divided time, there's only one person who can keep us as one, and that's Jesus. We find our familial connection in God as our Father. We maintain that unity in the Holy Spirit, the bond of peace. Remember, Paul, Silas, and Timothy spent only three weekends with these people. Three weekends. Do you think you can forge this kind of depth of relationship in three weeks? In God, you can. In God, you can forge a depth of relationship in three weeks where you can say, we pray for you constantly. They were expressing their thankfulness to God in the church of Thessalonica, always remembering all the saints that are in the church And what did they remember in thankfulness with prayer? We'll see the highlight reel in verse 3. It says, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfast hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a church in Thessalonica was being remembered before God, There were three things that came to mind about this church that was being prayed for. You saw them, right? Their work of faith was remembered. Their labor of love. Their steadfastness of hope. So you've got this trio, faith, love, and hope. And they're often found together in the Bible in many different places. Probably the most well-known place is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the last verse of that chapter, which is verse 13, where Paul says, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. You know, the reason love is greater than faith and hope is because there is coming an eternal kingdom. And in that eternal kingdom, faith and hope are no longer needed because we will see face to face what we have been believing for and hoping for. Faith and hope are not necessary in heaven because we will see God face to face. Yet love will continue for all of eternity because God is love and we will be with him in his love forever. Therefore, right now, While we eagerly await heaven, we long for it in faith, hope, and love. But you did notice that that there are some verbs attached to faith, love, and hope in verse 3. Paul, Silas, and Timothy sees these Christian virtues as active qualities that are to be lived out by the Christians at Thessalonica. They have works of faith labor of love, steadfastness of hope. Each of these speak to the effort that we as believers give forth in our relationship in service to God. See, your faith works. Your love labors. Your hope is steadfast. Faith, love, and hope 
have actions to back it. Because if there's no fruit to demonstrate that these qualities really do exist in your life, you want to go back and, and see, is, is this faith genuine? Is this love real? Is this hope actually something? And so in verse 4, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are super aware of the fact that this work of faith, this labor of love, and this steadfast hope in these people that, that it was formed in them because they had been loved and chosen by God. You see, God is the one who initiates with us, and we respond to his grace. We have this confidence. Well, well the apostle Paul had this confident hope that what he saw the people of Thessalonica come to that, that he had a certain confidence and knowledge because he remembers how the Thessalonians received Jesus the Christ as their Lord and Savior. That, that when he came to them for those three Sabbaths, he remembers how they came to them, came to Jesus in faith. And, and Paul, Silas, and Timothy can have this great assurance knowing that it is God who loved those people. It is God who saved them. And that if he chose them then, he will choose them now. I, I think this was probably a really great encouragement to Paul. Because when you only get to spend three weeks with people who are newly saved and born again, you wonder, is it going to stick? Are they going to keep going in the faith? Uh, that's why he said, go check in on them and see how they're doing. So wonderful to hear that there was a good report that came back. But, but Paul knew that if God had begun a good work in them, he was going to be faithful to complete it. That if God loved them and God chose them, that God would keep him in his love. That God would be the one to securely hold these people. And, and just that fact that God has chosen us is what gives us that confident assurance that, that no matter the storm, no matter the trial, no matter the doubts and the difficulties of your faith, God will keep you in his love. Amen? Amen. And then in verses 4 and 5, it says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Just think for a second about the condition that Paul and Silas were in when they came to Thessalonica. They had just been beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 24. Let's read what happened to these guys in Philippi. The crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prisons in ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison 
and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, we know what happened, right? Earthquake came, prison doors were released, stocks broke loose, and that jailer got saved. <laughs> but from Philippi, they, they went on to Thessalonica. Now, I can't say exactly how long it took them to get to Thessalonica after having been beaten in Philippi, but, but I estimate it, it's not that long of a time period between. So it is very possible, I think, that Paul and Silas would still have had the markings of the beatings upon their bodies when they came to Thessalonica. If that doesn't tell you that they were fully convinced of Jesus, I don't know what else will. So that when they went into the synagogue and reasoned from the scriptures and preached on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would have done it with black eyes and bruises along their bodies. And the Thessalonians would have heard a powerful and moving message of the gospel from fully convinced messengers who believed in this powerful gospel, and it was backed by the Holy Spirit. Fires me up. You know, Paul and Silas didn't come to Thessalonica half-heartedly believing the message and the power of the gospel as if they were like, you know, door-to-door Tupperware salesmen. (laughs) Not really believing in the quality of their product. As if they were doing it because, you know, they didn't have anything else better to do. (laughs) They risked their lives to preach this message. Paul and Silas were fully convinced of the message of the gospel, and God showed the power of the gospel by backing it up with his resurrection power, who is none other than the Holy Spirit himself. And so this is where I'm fully convinced, church. I am fully convinced and convicted that if our gospel can come to us not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, like we believe this stuff, then God will choose to do a lasting work of faith, love, and hope in our community, and there will be words and power to show forth for the gospel of Jesus Christ. People will see it, they will believe it, and that is why we preach every week Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead from the scriptures in the power and the enabling of the Holy Spirit because it's the power of God for salvation For those of us who believe, we know it. And it's the power for those who are perishing. I believe if we preach the gospel with such power and conviction and not just half-hearted words, then maybe we would hear, they're turning this world upside down. Amen? Let's get fired up about the gospel, church. It is the only thing that can save a lost in dying world. And I happen to think that the gospel turns this world right side up because the world has it so backwards right now. But from the world's perspective, the kingdom of God, it's an upside down kingdom. To the world, this message we preach, it's foolish, but to us, it's power. And so I take it as a compliment to hear that this world will be turned upside down because Jesus Christ is being preached and lived out in our city.
Now, Paul, Silas, and Timothy want to say something else. And just after that beautiful statement about their confidence in the gospel, I hope you hear my confidence in the gospel. They want to say this. They say, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. In chapter 2, we're going to be given some examples of the kind of men that these pastors proved to be to the church that was in Thessalonica. And we're going to get into that next week, but let me just read a few things. They said to the church, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. But they were also like a father with his children, exhorting, encouraging, and charging you to walk in a manner worthy of your spiritual calling. They'll say, we were affectionately desirous of you, ready to share not only the gospel, but our lives. To the church of Thessalonica, they knew that they were loved by God and chosen, but man, these pastors wanted to make sure that they knew that they were loved by Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And I just can speak on behalf of the pastors of this church. Church, we love you. We love you with the love of Jesus Christ, and I pray that you see what kind of men we prove to be. And so verses 6 and 7 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. You know, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were able to say something pretty bold, that they had set a pattern that could be imitated, that they were following Jesus in such a way that they were able to make a bold statement like this, follow me as I follow Christ. And here they're saying, if you imitate us, you will be imitating the Lord because that is what we are doing. We are following, we are literally imitating Jesus. Look, when I was saved at 17, I learned a lot about Jesus and about the church and about what it means to live a spiritual life from the word of God, but you know where else I learned it? By watching people who love Jesus and imitating them. And I love that. It is the work of discipleship. And so this great exhortation that's given here is for anyone who desires to be a spiritual leader in the church, to be a spiritual leader in the church, you must imitate the leader of the church, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. And so a leader is simply someone who can say, if people were to imitate the way that I follow and imitate Jesus, then this would be a healthy and God-honoring church. And that is so my desperate desire as a pastor. But look, it wasn't only the leaders that they were to look to, and I'll tell you what, leaders will fail you. Paul, Silas, and Timothy weren't ultimately the ones to be looked to. The one to be looked to was Jesus. So how do you learn to imitate Jesus from the word? It says, for they receive the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that seem like such a contradiction? <laughs> affliction with joy. 
But with working faith, laboring love, and steadfast hope, affliction and joy can go hand in hand, but only with the Holy Spirit. It's strangely supernatural when Paul and Silas could be beaten with rods and be fastened to stocks in a dark prison and be joyfully singing hymns in the Spirit. When they went to Thessalonica, the people received the word with joy, but they also had to receive it in affliction because, again, a jealous mob rose up and beat people and followed them all the way to Berea. You think when they came home that they treated the new Christians in Thessalonica nicely? They were afflicted because of their reception of the word of God. We're going to talk more about persecution in later parts of this letter, but where we are now in this message, as I bring it to a close, is this. Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes, can we say these words? That if people were to imitate our lives, they would be imitating the life of Jesus. If we are ever afflicted for the sake of the, the word, would we receive that affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit? See, the, the church of Thessalonica could say that. And, and I hope that we could say that. But, but I want you to notice something here at the end. They didn't have to say anything about it. Because the news of how these people were joyfully living for Jesus was already spreading so that no one had to say anything. The people didn't have to say, we are people of faith. They were working and it was known. They didn't have to come out and say, we are people of love. They were laboring, and it was known. They didn't have to say, we are people of hope. They were steadfast, and it was known. People aren't interested in hearing what you believe as much as they want to see what you believe. They were being talked about because the gospel was being lived out. And verse 8 says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. There was a wildfire spread of faith from Thessalonica. A wave of God was making its way through Macedonia. And this church became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. They became the model church. And we're told why they became the model church in verse 8. Two things spread out from them, the word of the Lord and their faith in God. The word of the Lord sounded forth from Macedonia and Achaia. And the, the idea of sounding forth is the idea of a loud ringing sound, like a, like a siren going out. And the word of the Lord was going out through all the region. Because people were hearing that the word of God was being preached and that people were receiving it by faith and then they were telling others about it. And the word of the Lord was continually going out with the people and as they believed the word of the Lord in faith, they were living it out in faith in their communities, in the world, and the world was being turned upside down. Their faith in God had gone out everywhere as the people went out by faith. The people went out by faith and lived the gospel, doing works of faith, labors of love, and steadfastness of hope, so that they became a model church 
for what it means to be a thriving church. They believed the gospel when it was preached to them, and they lived it out too. Now, in order for this to be said about our church, I want this to be said about our church. It has to be said about many individuals. Dear friends, the way that you live out your faith, love, and hope is going to be heard and seen by others. So so what will the report of your life be? Because listen, the report of your individual life will have an effect upon this community of faith whether good or bad. It's going to sound like one of these two ways. Oh, they go to Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. Or, oh, they go to Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. Amen? If we were to receive a report from the South Bay, what would be said about this church? There's always going to perhaps be a jealous mob that doesn't have nice things to say about us. That's what the Thessalonians experienced. But people were talking, and this is what they were hearing being said, verse 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is what the surrounding region was saying, that when Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica, a church was planted, and the people of that city began to receive the word of God as truth, and they believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. These people turned from idols to serve the living and true God. These people are waiting for Jesus, the Son of God from heaven. This Jesus is the Son of God who was raised from the dead, the real and living Jesus who had been declared to us in the scriptures. Jesus who delivers us from the wrath of God. This is what people were hearing. This is what people were saying. It was saying, this church is a gospel church. This church is filled with people who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross for sinners and that he was buried and three days later he rose from the dead. These people have a hope in Jesus that he has ascended into glory and from heaven they are awaiting his savior as he will come back in the second coming. These people love Jesus who is the only one who can and the only one who will deliver mankind from the wrath of God towards sin. This is what people were talking about of the church in Thessalonica. Believers were were just, it was spreading throughout the regions of Macedonia and Achaia. So do you want to stand up with me, church? And as we stand up together, church, this is our charge of the kind of church that we're going to be in this city. I'm just going to go right back through. I'm going to give the highlight reel of what kind of church we want to be so that we would be a model church in this world, so that there would be no stopping what God's going to do both in and through us. Would we be a church that gets talked about in this kind of way, 
A church that is in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A church of grace and peace. A church of faith, love, and hope. A church of power and conviction in the Holy Spirit. A church of godly leaders in a godly congregation. A church recognized as a pattern to follow because we imitate Jesus. A church that is joyful in the spirit, even in times of affliction. A church that is talked about as an example because we preach the word of the Lord and we are fully convinced by it and we live it out by faith. A church that is talked about because lives are being changed as people turn to God and away from their sin and idolatry. A church of repentance and transformation. A church that serves the living and true God. A church that awaits the Son of God from heaven. A church that believes and preaches that Jesus died and rose again and that we have been delivered from the wrath that is to come. Are we that church? And if you want to be that church, you can stand on your feet today with this assembly and you can say, we are Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes. And this is the kind of church that we're going to be so that this world would be turned upside down. Amen? Amen? Lord Jesus, make us this kind of church. I thank you, God, by the grace of God, that this is already happening in our midst. We have been a Jesus-loving, a Bible-teaching, and spirit-filled church. We have seen a movement of God that is sounding forth from this place, we are seeing lives that are transformed by your grace. And so, God, we ask today, would you pour it out all the more? Would you pour out your grace upon this church? I pray that this church, that these walls would just be dripping with grace, that people would hear what is happening at Calvary Chapel Palace Verdes, and they would come, and they would see, and they would believe that Jesus is the Christ who died on a cross for our sin and rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is coming again. And we can't wait for that, Jesus. But until, we, until you come, we want to be about your business. And all those who stand here say yes and amen. Amen? amen. Let's worship Jesus today.